The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal. From the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. And welcome to another edition of Engaging Truth. I'm your host, Pastor John Kane. With us today on the program, we have Dr. Stephen Christie, MD, JD. He's a physician specializing in oncologic radiology and body imaging. He's also an attorney and member of the Florida State Bar Association. Aside from his medical work, Dr. Christie also lectures regularly on many of today's pressing social issues on marriage, family, and the dignity of life. Welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. So you have a very diverse skill set, as we were talking about uh, off the air. Uh, you're a gifted man. And what you bring to the table on the subject of um, uh, speaking for the unborn is, is truly remarkable. So what, um, what made you write a pro-life book? Well, I think the pithy answer is there are 62 million reasons why I wrote the book. Over 62 million abortions since Roe v. Wade in 1973, and that's more than the populations of California and New York combined. So if what's not being if what's being aborted isn't alive, it's not human, I guess it doesn't matter. But if those abortions are living human beings, then we've killed 62 million children. And I guess that's the pithy answer of why I wrote the book. But I also wrote the book because I really think that the pro-life cause is a winning one. And we have to be able to, to articulate our very powerful and persuasive reasons to anyone who asks us. And simply knowing, as I used to know, that abortion is wrong, well, that's great, but it's not enough to sustain a movement. And I'd stumbled across, like, like many of you and you, your listeners have, so many wonderful pro-life arguments that were based on science, the law, uh, reason, morality, social justice concerns, and the visible evidence. And I wanted to present them in a user-friendly format that anybody can, can use in real-life situations. And that's really why I wrote the book. So what's unique about your book? Um, I think there's two things about that are unique. One is the structure of the book itself, and the other, I think, is me a little bit. If I, I don't want to sound too vain or arrogant, what's unique about the book is that it's really the only handbook of its of its type that really presents every rebuttal to every pro-choice argument, and it does so in 30 second bursts, um, in a very user friendly format that you can memorize as bullet points. And I think the second thing really is about me, and that that I write from a fairly unusual perspective, as you sort of alluded to, as a physician. I know science and embryology. And as a lawyer, I've studied the law and the Constitution. Uh, as a father of five, and one of whom was adopted, I know at least a bit about babies and pregnancy. And as a husband of over 25 years, I've come to appreciate the, the challenges women face when balancing their careers and family life. And people think, and people say, usually when I when I speak live, they, they say, that's why I'm, I'm able to speak on abortion. And those things are very helpful, but really none of those are my most important credential. What makes me most qualified to speak about abortion is the fact that I spent the first 30 plus years of my life as a secular pro-choice liberal. So I know exactly what and why and how the other side thinks about abortion. And having lived in both the pro-choice and other pro-life worlds, have a fairly unique vantage point from which to address the issues. I'd like to say um, that when I was pro-choice, I, I learned the arguments. But when I became pro-life, I learned the truth. And this book and the, the talks that I give and the website that goes along with the book, that is the truth. And not, not this new modern stuff, my truth, your truth, truthiness, the truth, the real truth, the objective truth. So you mentioned that that you used to be on one side, now you're on the other side. So there's right. a story there, I'm sure. <clears throat> Excuse my cough. So, right. So I grew up in a very secular progressive household. I went to a very progressive, uh, fancy high school where it was understood that if, if you were educated and you were sophisticated and you were a thinker, you were 
obviously pro-choice. In fact, it was so obvious we never mentioned why. And conversely, if you were pro-life, you were obviously uneducated and non-thinking and backwards, and you were intelligent and probably a Jesus freak. And and I maintained this, this false thinking, even through law school, I'm embarrassed to say. And it was only in medical school that I started, my, my feelings started to change. And if you'd asked me even why I was pro-choice when I started medical school, I, I really couldn't have articulated a reason. And if I had to say what changed me, in a word, I have to say it was the truth. And in medical school, you actually study the facts about science and embryology. Um, and they actually hold embryos and fetuses in your hands. And as, you know, as Shakespeare says, the truth will out. In a medical school, you learn there's actually a scientific definition of life. And it's not a matter of philosophy or religion or politics or your own personal introspection. What is alive is a scientific question that science is fully answered. And it's spelled out in every embryology book and every biology book used the world over. And interestingly, if we have time, there was actually a precise moment for me when this conversion began. Um, uh, I, I met my wife in medical school. We were in our first year in the anatomy lab. And off the edge of the anatomy, anatomy lab was this sort of an ante room that had leftover things, desks and cabinets that nobody used. And nobody ever went in there. And one evening while studying, I walked into the room. And there was this cabinet sort of at an angle covered in dust. The lights are burnt out in it. And it had on shelves jars with, of formaldehyde with, with embryos and fetuses in them babies in different stages of development. Obviously, it had been an educational exhibit at some point years and years and years ago, and now it had been abandoned. And the more I looked at it, the more horrified I became, I became about how irreverent these babies were being treated. So the next day, I hunted down our embryology professor, who was a wonderful teacher, and I said to her, I, I told her, I confessed how, how horrified I was at the irreverence that these babies were, were being just sort of discarded and left. And this wonderful professor became very agitated. She became angry. She began shaking her finger at me. And she said, they are not babies. They were never alive. They're not babies. They're just fetuses and embryos. They're not babies. And again, Shakespeare shot into my head uh, from, from Hamlet. The lady doth protest too much. Uh -huh. And that was it for me. I knew the truth. Those were babies. They had been alive. And interestingly, I knew she knew it. And that was the beginning for me of the conversion process. In fact, that was that conversion happened before I, my conversion even to Christianity from being an atheist. Right. So you're, you're really talking about <coughs> conversions here. You're talking about uh, an intellectual conversion, uh, you know, basis of, of truth and, and, and also religious conversion as, as well. Right. And what and this book focuses not on any religious arguments, because the, the, the I think the strongest arguments we have, while they're wonderful religious arguments in favor of, 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 of the pro-life cause, I, for, for a bunch of reasons, I say we stick to the, to the, to the non-religious arguments. We have powerful and persuasive reasons based on science and the law and social justice and reason and logic and, and ethics and morality. And I always tell people they're so persuasive, let's stick to them, because the majority of the people we're speaking to are secular and don't understand the language of religion anyway. So you have a strategy that you like to employ when talking to people uh, that you might uh, influence their thinking, change their minds, perhaps? Right. So this book that I've written is Speaking for the Unborn, 30-Second Pro-Life Rebuttals to Pro-Choice Arguments. So you can get it on Amazon, by the way. I'm just getting a little plug there. Um, the book starts off before you ever get to the arguments themselves. We discuss where you speak, how you speak, and then you get to the to the to the what you speak. And the where we speak. You know, most of us are not Ben Shapiro going into stadiums with a microphone and, and arguing out with everybody. And most of us aren't going to be legislators in Congress passing laws or appellate court lawyers arguing in court. But all of us have a very important role to play. And that's in the everyday course of our normal, ordinary lives. And that's with our families and our friends and our coworkers. Uh, we're, we're out there to change one heart at a time. And that's the where we speak. And how we speak, it seems obvious, but we all struggle with this, including myself. We speak charitably 
intelligently and persuasively. We're articulate, we're clear, and we're brief. These arguments in the book are 30 seconds long. And we're always mindful that 25% of the women we're going to speak with have already had an abortion. They don't deserve our condemnation and our ridicule and scorn. They deserve our compassion. These women, many of them are suffering terribly from that. From that. And then I always say we focus on winning hearts, not simply winning arguments. And and I was in, I was giving a talk once and somebody said, well, what does that what does that mean? Winning hearts. It sounds pretty, but what does it mean? And what it means when I'm arguing with somebody, there's words I always want to hear them say to me. And that's I direct all of my attention to this. I want them to say to me, Steve, you know, that's interesting. I never really thought about it that way before. And that to me is the sound of the heart opening up to the truth. So that's the how. And then the what we speak. Well, that's the, the book itself. These are the, the contents, the arguments, the debates, the rebuttals. And, and again, science, law, social justice concerns, evidence. Um, that's what these arguments are based on. And lastly, I guess I should add that um, from a strategy standpoint, we all have to have courage because you know, my wife, for example, who's more well-known in this pro-life cause than I am, she's got more courage than all of your listeners combined. I'm a wimp. Um, I, I, I like to write a book and go away. I get nervous even for these, these interviews here, um, but I don't have the luxury of, of not being courageous. So there's 62 million children that can't speak um, on their behalf, and that's our job. So we have to have the courage to get up and speak. And it doesn't have to be in, in, in stadiums. It can be just with your sister-in-law, your brother-in-law, your friend, or your, or your son or, or daughter. So what you're describing is is uh, just providing the information to someone who's your friend, your relative, the people that you're talking with, but presenting it in, in a way of the uh, the classic 30 second elevator pitch in in a way that's winsome, that's not threatening, but um, shows the reasonableness of of your logic, and and that that's going to be not a surprise attack, and it's not going to be. Uh, a violent attack rather it's going to be in a comfortable way i think is what you're saying so that it will be received more comfortably right you know apostle of our faith of christianity is maybe i'm not good at it or it's just a frustrating experience you plant plant seeds and you never know when those seeds will take root maybe you'll never see it maybe it'll be 50 years down the road pro-life apostolate is very exciting because it's a winning argument our arguments are based on science facts and truth um and our the other side, and I'm, I'm not trying to be disparaging, but they're based on cliches, the my body, my choice, or reproductive justice, a cliche, or rhetorical deception, calling things clumps of cells, or ad hominem, or personal attacks. You know, people call me, I'm a misogynist, as though I don't love and respect and want the best for my for my daughters and my wife. So facts, truth, and science are winning arguments. So it's it's very exciting. And if we present them in a kind, compassionate, loving way, which is our, 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 our role as human beings, and certainly as Christians, it, it's, it's, it's an exciting thing to be involved with. So you've uh, you've hinted at some of these approaches. What give us uh, your most convincing pro-life argument? Okay, so I, I do this a lot, and probably I'm going to forget it in front of in front of you now that I'm on on camera here. But um, when I was writing this book, my wife said, "Well, well tell them why you're pro-life." And I said, well, "I'm pro-life because abortion is wrong." And she said, "Yeah, of course, abortion is wrong, moron. Why, why is abortion wrong?" And I said, "Because it's a it's a terrible thing." She said, "Of course, it's a terrible thing, but why is it a terrible thing?" And I found myself stumbling and fumbling. Um, and so I sat down and I wrote my 30 second summary of why I'm pro-life. Um, and I found the opportunity to use it comes up very frequently. Usually when you don't expect it, you might get one chance to make your, your case. So you got to make it count. And if you can articulate your reasons, you can be really convincing. So my summary goes like this. I say I'm pro-life because I'm pro-science. There's overwhelming scientific consensus that life begins at conception. And I'm pro-life because social justice begins in the womb. Because every living human being is entitled to the most fundamental of human rights, that being life itself because being a burden on someone is never justification for killing them. And I say I'm pro-life because I'm pro-women, because abortion degrades women, treating their fertility as a defect and enabling men to then use women at their most vulnerable. Abortion never empowers women, 
only the men who wish to exploit them. And I say I'm pro-life because I'm against violence, because abortion is not only immoral, but it's an act of extreme violence against the most vulnerable. And I'm pro-life because of the visible evidence, because ultrasound and now MRI clearly reveal to the world what's moving inside a woman's body, and that's a living human baby. And lastly, I say I'm pro-life because of objective morality, because if abortion is the killing of an innocent living human being, then it's both cowardly and immoral to remain silent. And I say, that's why I'm pro-life. And then I always follow up and saying, and why aren't you? And the answer I always get is this. Um, 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 and it, <clears throat> and it's not, it, what's interesting to me is, it, I clearly, the, pro, the pro-choice side is, is, has not much to say in terms of argu- argumentation. But just because of that, that's there's not much they can argue. But we're the pro-life side is often in the same position saying, uh, 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 like I had been. So this is a great 30 second summary, I think. Use mine, modify it, make your own, um, but have one ready to go. You'll be surprised how often you, you, you can use it and how successful and persuasive it can be. So uh, from your medical background, when does life begin? So from a scientific standpoint, it's absolutely clear. Um, it's a scientific question that science is fully answered. At the fusion of, of the membranes of the sperm and egg, we have a zygote, a completely genetically unique living human being. It's not, again, a matter of politics or religion. During the Dobbs uh, case before the Supreme Court, one of our more liberal justices said, you know, whether something is alive or not is obviously a religious question. And I wanted to scream as I'm listening. It's not a religious question at all. It's a scientific question that science is fully answered. The greatest, the largest study ever done in biologists was done two years ago, by the way. Um, over 5,000 biologists at over 1,000 worldwide institutions, 96% agree with the statement um, that life begins at conception. And those people answering that that questionnaire, by the way, are were self-identified as almost 90% liberal, uh, 90% uh, pro-choice, and the vast majority are non-religious. So this is a scientific question that science is fully answering. So if life begins at conception, then it follows that uh, terminating that life is um, aborting that is aborting a life, and and so it's not just a uh, uh, a clump of cells, but it's actually a living, unique, uh, genetically unique uh, human being in, right. in a small form. Right. If you're if you're debating somebody who's saying it's not alive, there's only two options: they're either deceiving you or they're ignorant, uh, right. and either one is unacce- is unsuccessful as an uh, as an argument. It's clearly alive. The only argument they can make is they have to give a compelling case why it's acceptable to kill an innocent living human being, which is a very tough argument to make. Sure, sure. So when we look at um, uh, the realm of, of people who undergo abortions, uh, it's a small percentage that it actually does it for medical reasons. Um, right. right. Over 95% of abortions are of healthy babies of healthy mothers. That's a misconception. Again, until I did the research itself, and even as a physician, I was a little bit surprised at the real numbers. And that's why I get out there doing these interviews and getting the book out there so people have the facts. So, for instance, on Meet the Press uh, two months ago, uh, and, uh, Chuck Todd said, well, clearly third trimester abortions are, are for medical emergencies. So it's just factually incorrect. Even in third trimester abortions, the majority of those abortions are of healthy babies of healthy mothers. And ironically, if that's the word to use, there is never ever a time to have an abortion in the third trimester. Those are viable babies that can live. Just deliver the baby uh, and give that baby a very strong chance of living. Um, a, a delivery takes only hours and a third trimester abortion takes three to four days. So if there is a medical reason to end the pregnancy, and there, there certainly may be, and we value the life of the mother incredibly, even we prioritize the life of the mother over the baby. That's the pro-life movement. We should be clear about that. Um, deliver the baby. So again, this notion that if these are medically necessary uh, abortions, they are, they are absolutely the minority of cases. 
So with the, uh, the imaging that you do uh, using various um, uh, medical instruments, techniques, what effect does that have on um, uh, mothers who are carrying a child when they see their, uh, the child they're carrying? Right. Intellectual arguments are one thing. So we can spend time uh, discussing and debating in these arguments. And the book does that, I think, rather well. And they are convincing. But there is nothing that gets to you like the emotion of the facts. And again, I'm not making emotional arguments, but the emotion that accompanies the facts of seeing a living baby and high definition ultrasound now, and not even the 3D or 4D that we're now calling, but just routine, regular, high resolution ultrasound is a perfect window into the uterus now. So we see uh, beautifully formed babies starting at four, five, six, seven weeks. In fact, if you go to my website, which is a free website, speakingfortheunborn.org, I've, I've purchased the rights to photos and videos of the unborn. So you can show people how beautiful and deeply moving these, these children at such a young age are. And a lot of times, if somebody says to you at 12 weeks, it's a clump of cells, you could argue with the arguments in the book, why it's not a clump of cells. But sometimes let the babies do the talking for themselves. Say, have these pictures downloaded to your phone. They're free. And I have them there, speakingfortheunborn.org. Um, and say, look, can I show you a, a picture of a, of a 12-week-old? Or can I show you a, an ultrasound video of a baby sucking his thumb? And tell me if you feel, one, that it's a clump of cells. And two, you, I say to them, this is the language I use, I say, I, I don't feel comfortable tearing off a limb off that baby. Do you? And even people who have been pretty pretty hardcore pro-choice say to me, when they see the pictures, they say, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm not comfortable with that either. And again, that's the sound of the heart opening up to the truth. So these images and, and ultrasound, they're, they're incredibly powerful tools. We'll come back to Dr. Christie in just a moment, but first I'd like to uh, invite our listeners to visit our program's website, elmhouston.org. There you can uh, find shortcuts to our Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube accounts, or you can also donate to support our on-the-air work. Also from our Facebook page, you can download podcasts of our past programming. I'd like you to know that all of our on-the-air hosts are volunteers, so your your donations go far to help us purchase radio airtime. We strive to have a wide variety of, of interviews with people who are creative sharing the good news of Jesus Christ at that intersection of where faith meets life. You may write us at ELM Houston, PO Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410. Now back to Dr. Christie. You know, when we uh, talk about uh, an unborn child being just a clump of cells. And that's, uh, uh, you could say the same thing of me, I guess. Um, it's not scientific. It's not um, reflective of either um, careful analysis or of um, uh, good science or of, of good uh, law either. You know, talking about uh, the rights of people not only the rights of mothers, but the rights of, of the unborn. To have something as basic as life is uh, so important to us. And from a religious standpoint, the, to, to, to allow that life to, to live as God intends, as a, a useful and productive member of society, but also as a person in eternity uh, thanking their, their creator, uh, that's an aspect that we also bring to, bring to the, the fore here. What would you like to... Uh, point our listeners to as far as further information. You gave us your, your website. Please do that one more time. Sure. The, the website and the book, uh, Speaking for the Unborn is the book, and you can buy it at Amazon. Um, and the website is speakingfortheunborn.org. And as you say, the, the even if the law right now is not recognizing the, the right to life of the child, all of us can still recognize ourselves that, 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 that right. 
and to keep pursuing that with everybody that we interact with in our lives because we have women talking about their rights and i fully respect the rights of women but their right is to really in the end is to a lifestyle free of a burden temporarily versus the the rights of a child which is the right to not be killed and when you're comparing the rights of they don't have equal moral weight uh, and the rights of life versus a lifestyle you have to remember that life trumps lifestyle yeah, they don't have equal moral weight. I think that's just a great uh, snapshot into into your your thinking here. Would you do us the favor of giving us your thirty second pitch one more time? Because sure. I, you know, that I, I've heard that also uh, given to people say, hey, prepare a thirty second pitch for why being a Christian is important to you, or why you're a Christian, or or other things. Just that little bit of preparation helps people to crystallize in their minds what they would say to someone else. And I, and I loved your 30-second on why you're pro-life. Sure, sure. Although two for two, I might mess it up. But And you, by the way, you can get it in the book, or you can get it for free on the website. So I say I'm pro-life because I'm pro-science, because there's overwhelming scientific consensus that life begins at conception. And I'm pro-life because social justice begins in the womb, because every living human being is entitled to the most fundamental of human rights, that being life itself, because being a burden on someone is never justification for killing them. And I'm pro-life because I'm pro-women, because abortion degrades women, treating their fertility as a defect and then enabling men to use and then abandon women at their most vulnerable. Abortion never empowers women, only the men who wish to exploit them. And I'm pro-life because I'm against violence, because abortion is not only immoral, but it's an act of extreme violence against the most vulnerable. And I'm pro-life because of the visible evidence, because ultrasound and MRI clearly reveal to the world what's been moving around inside a woman's body, and that's a living human baby. And lastly, I'm pro-life because of objective morality. If abortion is the killing of an innocent living human being, a child, then it's immoral and cowardly to remain silent, and that's why I'm pro-life. So have that one ready to go, or or or, or develop your own, or modify mine, but, but they're powerful and persuasive, and be ready to use it. That's great. Where can people pick up a copy of your book? So speaking for the unborn uh, at Amazon or from the publisher um, uh, or uh, you can get actually from the website, if you want to do everything in one fell swoop, you can get it at speakingfortheunborn.org. You can you can link to the, the book there or you can reach me if you have any questions, concerns or arguments or, or complaints. Um, you can reach me there. Uh, so I'm, 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 I'm grateful for this time. I don't, I, I have no problem pushing the, the book because I, I, number one, I, I don't, um, number one, the cause is normal. Number two, I personally don't accept any money for the sale of the book and donate it all back to the pro-life cause. One, uh, question, a little bit off topic, uh, women following an abortion often face a lifetime of psychological, but also physical problems. There's anything that you'd like to to say about that? I, I know that there have been studies about uh, increased cancer or or different problems that, that follow women, that this is not a one-time event. Right. I, I stick to the strongest arguments. And, and so I don't, I usually don't go into that one too much, but generally speaking, if you, women who have abortions are more, more likely to have infertility in the future, they're more likely to have ectopic pregnancies in the future. Those are the physical um things they suffer from. But I think the psychological suffering far outweighs that. I think we have evidence from 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 uh, lots of support groups that women suffer and suffer deeply from 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 having I don't like to from having ended the life, let's call it that the end of the life of their own child. And that's a terrible burden to carry around. And as I said, those women don't need our condemnation. Uh, and I I'm speaking for myself, but probably from a lot of your listeners, uh, while abortion hasn't touched my life by the grace of God, um, I've made terrible mistakes in my life things that have harmed me and things that have harmed other people. And I wish I could go back in time and fix them. I can't. 
So I, I give that same respect for everybody else who's made those same mistakes. So let's move forward. And, and I think for those women who have made mistakes, they can, they can, can, can turn that sadness into, uh, to energy for, for pursuing this wonderful and beautiful movement. Uh, and for people that hear their stories, they also can, can use that as motivation to keep pursuing and, and speaking on behalf of 62 million children who can't speak for themselves. Well, Dr. Christie, thank you for, for speaking up and uh, encouraging others to look in this positive direction. Um, and uh, thankfully, as Christians, we know that forgiveness is ours. Christ died on the cross as God in human flesh to uh, earn for us what we could not earn for ourselves, and that is uh, peace with God. Thank you for being with us. We uh, invite our listeners to uh, check out your book and uh, follow this path of uh, 30 seconds to uh, touching others' hearts and minds for uh, a new life. Join us again real soon for another edition of Engaging Truth. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.